my other my hob is electric, but that also has a gas mark, so it goes from one to six. I have no idea. It's just like intensity of heat. <laughs> you know, six. It's six hot. One more than five. It's six out of six hot. And so in in the UK, when someone is is really hot, they're not a ten; they're a six. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Let's Learn Everything, the show where we learn anything and everything interesting. Today, we'll be learning about a science topic, we'll be answering a science question, and then we'll be hopping into a miscellaneous topic. My name's Tom, and today's main science topic is evolution. All the wild ways that eyes have evolved. My name's Ella, and today's question is... Can we get rid of mosquitoes? Ooh. <laughs> and hi, I'm Sabrina from Answer in Progress. And today's miscellaneous. Huh? Hmm? What? Uh-huh. Huh? What? Sorry? What? I'm I'm eh? sorry. What? Huh? I'm so, I was we make this podcast like every 2 weeks. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess I guess so. Yeah, this is, now that I remember it, that sounds that, right. That sounds right. Yeah, you well because we heard your voice on one episode before, I think. On the anyway, sorry, I'm so sorry for interrupting. Continue. The harp gliss is playing. It's time <laughs> we rewrite history. <laughs> We're in the twilight zone. <laughs> Um, but hi, yeah, I'm Sabrina from Answer in Progress, and today's miscellaneous topic is bagged milk in Canada. Oh. <laughs> Yay! The best thing since bagged milk. <laughs> um, just in case you're worried, dear listeners, we've not replaced Caroline. <laughs> We're not gaslighting you. Um, Caroline's on holiday this week. We thought they deserved a break. So we have brought in Sabrina to fill in the place so wonderfully. Thank you. You were, you were a very last minute addition, though, and we, so we have to thank you. Very, very much. Yeah, truly. And Sabrina has been a, a, a great friend of the show in the past, uh, has been also like a really early advocate for the pod before it was cool. Hell before yeah. Before everyone hopped you in. Have. Uh, which we appreciate. I've been a fan since day one. Ride or die, baby. <laughs> you did um, a YouTube short where you shouted out the podcast recently and my people sent that to me. Like, who watch your... <laughs> who watched your channel and they were like they were like ella you've made it How, don't you realize <laughs> that was basically it yeah i was like that's so sweet yeah I'm, I'm i'm a big fan of the show and i'm really grateful for y'all to have me here i apologize for how my fact will likely not live up to the to the standards and rigor that y'all usually bring to it because this is just this is my party trick being a canadian it's only bag milk <laughs> it's, it's bag, bag milk, milk all, all the way, way down, down. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this podcast too much together. Um, oh, that's concerning. I was just going to say, um, as long as you bring the, the joy and hype around back milk, that's all that matters for the misc, I feel like. <laughs> but Sabrina, of course, we are, as we have said, are also fans of y'all at uh, Answer in Progress. Uh, do you want to tell everyone who doesn't know what what's, what's the dealio with that? Yeah, Answer in Progress. It's a YouTube channel that I make with two other friends, much like this podcast this is a, trying to find connections um but yeah we <laughs> i'm so bad at pitching hey, if you like groups of three people you'll love our show exactly <laughs> but yeah we we make videos documenting the journey from question to answer showing like 
everything along the way. Uh, that usually just means a lot of failure, a lot of confusion, a lot of completely forgetting the point you were trying to make. But I still think it's a good time. That does sound pretty <laughs> similar to us, to be fair. <laughs> I think my favorite episodes have been New York Pizza, obviously biased, mm -hmm. um, the Japanese web design, and then also fake buildings. So if anyone's looking for some, some ones to jump into, those have been my personal favorite. Nice. They've been personal favorites for us as well. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones where we didn't forget the point we were trying to make. Incredible! <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Actually, I, I do revise that. I love when that happens. That is big. That's also big Let's Learn Everything energy when we yeah. uh, embrace the turn where it's like, all right, this is where we're going now. Because that, that's, that's the process, baby. Um, so the parkour AI one I know has uh, some... <laughs> Sabrina's like, yeah, that one. I, I've come to accept that that video was just an elaborate excuse for me to take parkour lessons and turn it into a business write-off. <laughs> I, I really, I convinced myself that it was for art and for research. No, up, upon hindsight and some mm -hmm. conversations with my therapist, <laughs> elaborate excuse. <laughs> who, who doesn't love one of those, though? So, today's main topic is evolution uh you are uh, you only did this so you could make a pun <laughs> you reverse engineered the subject <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh but no uh i specifically have actually had a very specific place in the history of evolution in the origin of species chapter six which is uh difficulties of the theory there is a subsection titled organs of extreme perfection and complication oh lovely and he starts by talking about the eye uh and it's a really popular quote and also one of my favorite kinds of popular quote because it is often misquoted <laughs> so darwin writes to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confessed, absurd in the highest degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, the book ends there. <laughs> he, he has a few lines where he apologizes for taking up everyone's time and then it's like sorry guys sorry this was a mistake jk unless <laughs> uh no but of course that is a great clip to snag out of context when you're trying to either be you know anti-evolution or even if you just want to be like ho 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 aren't we so much smarter than even darwin so wait the point you're making is people use this to say that this is because he's saying it's so perfect, it's, it's a sign of God's existence. Exactly. He's, he, people reference it as if he like wrote Origin of Species, but like had a single caveat for like a few things where he's like, I don't, I don't know, guys, about this one. This one's like an unanswered question. It's like the eyeball. Mm -hmm. Of course, as you can probably infer the, the way I've set this up, this is a setup to then explain why eyes are actually totally possible. He basically says like, look, you know, we don't know the exact stages and steps of how we evolved eyes, but if you look at the diversity of eyes and if we look at the eyes of animals that like seem to have not evolved as much or as recently, uh, like brachiopods, we can actually get like a reasonable picture of what early eyes might have been like. It's actually a really great passage. Uh, I'll link it. Uh, I'm not just going to read the whole thing. I will say... No, that's the, to that's the topic. You're just reading from... Yeah, I'm just going to read. <laughs> a little bedtime reading. Uh, I will say, I haven't read a ton from Origin of Species before. It is hilarious to read because 
he's saying these things I've like totally heard before where I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, blah, 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 blah. But then you have to remember it's like, oh, this is like, <laughs> but where it comes from. <laughs> this is the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, because he's because he's talking about stuff like where it's like we can look at like early animals that like haven't evolved as many times or, or you know, or, or older. And then we can get a, a, a sense of it. I'm like, yeah, of course. But I'm like. Oh, not of course, because that wasn't of course back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. That's, oh, uh, yeah. That's, I think that's like any, any historical topic we cover on the podcast. We're always like, of course, but someone yeah. had to think of it first, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it is like so well worded. It's like, um, it reminds me of the time I like, I finally saw like Indiana Jones like really late and they kept doing stuff and I'd be like, oh God, like a giant rolling boulder. Like, are you kidding me? And then I was like, oh no, no, that that's that's where everyone yeah. else is. It, it does that from. Uh, there's also a moment where he goes, in fish and reptiles, as Owen has remarked, quote, the range of gradations of dioptic structures is very great. Uh, and I find it just so funny to me to see him quoting another scientist to make this seminal argument where he has to like convince people and like cite the source because eh, like extremely ironically i recognize part of me sometimes feels like origin of species came out of thin air yeah mm, actually yeah. i it's, it's i think it's probably important to bring up that he does quote other scientists in origin of species that he uses he has there are tons of references in the book a ton it's not yeah, like yeah. darwin just all of these thoughts <laughs> emerged fresh from his mind totally yeah He's, he was a scientist he used science it's a mind-blowing concept. <laughs> uh, it's just very uh, humbling to like see the sources behind the sources, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, especially the sources that ever everyone cites. Yeah, I think it's just like, it's Darwin. Why do you need to cite anyone? You are the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's what he puts at the end. He puts uh, just a me. reference. Me, the guy. I'm just the guy. Guys, I'm Darwin. Remember? <laughs> everyone knows my name, right? <laughs> anyway, he goes on to basically say like, Listen, the eye is weird, but even they can evolve. And so, you know, the, the quote at first kind of reads like, eyes are so amazing, I cannot believe it. But clearly in context, it's supposed to be like, eyes are so amazing, I almost can't believe it. Yeah, it's wild that Darwin did clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe. <laughs> you won't believe it's not God. You <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of a, a, a moment where he's like, well, actually, I think this whole theory is wrong and I'm a big dum-dum. And then he's like, just kidding. <laughs> um, and the thumbnail for the book is really cool. I hadn't seen it. You know, obviously it's changed a few times because like he wanted to get the right thumbnail that was uh, <laughs> uh, 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 get, get, get most yep. views and, and the click-through rate. Performing well, yeah, yeah. It's just a finger pointing at a giant scary eyeball stop That's and he's like big eyes yeah like, oh. and, and darwin's on the front like with him, his mouth agape oh no way <laughs> like a just mr beast, beast thumbnail <laughs> mr <Yeah. laughs> we're just like last one to survive gets one million dollars millions of years of evolution did what <laughs> you won't believe what this single-celled organism turned into <laughs> anyway he's certainly not wrong about eyes being amazing this topic has been sitting in my topic list since we started the podcast mm. because I knew I loved talking about uh, eyes. But when I started like tallying all the things I wanted to talk about, this topic seemed like impossibly big and I wanted it to be like all encompassing and I wanted it to be perfect like the eye itself. But 
as the saying goes, perfect is the enemy of hilarious content on the Maximum Fun Network. Um, <laughs> perfect is the enemy of good. And that is true for both topics and also the eye itself, we will soon see. So um, if there was ever a topic I could do a sequel to, um, it is absolutely this. So look out eventually for iVolution 2, iElectric, Boogailu. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Honestly, I was expecting more puns. I is such a common vowel. Don't, enco- don't encourage. <laughs> don't encourage him, Sabrina. <laughs> You're here on behalf of Caroline, who backs me up in stopping Tom's puns. So you're not allowed to enjoy this. You gotta vote for your constituency. (laughs) You gotta represent. But for now, I want to start this off with an ice story that was important not to Darwin, but to another great scientist, me. Uh, This is actually a story that I remember learning uh, in an early cognitive science class I took uh, that really made me go like... Oops, oh no, I kind of want to major in this. I was going to study English and theater, but oh no. I literally had a picture of this diagram uh, printed and taped up on my dorm wall. Uh, I'm not kidding. I can try to find a photo of that. Yeah, I. you had a, a picture of what I'm assuming is something to do with eye evolution mm-hmm. on your dorm wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I bet you got all the babes. Mm-hmm. What's a bigger red flag, that or Fight Club? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So uh, one thing we love to hear about on the podcast are stories of convergent evolution, when two species evolve a feature independently, and the human eye shares a remarkable similarity to another animal that seems to have evolved these features independently. Do you know which animal I'm going to talk about? Do you, well, you go, Sabrina. Do you have an idea? This I've now realized that this is a gaping hole in my <gasps> brain, but I didn't know eyes were that different. <laughs> oh, we're going to learn about that. I thought eyes were all kind of just like eyes. You see, the, it, it matters more where they're located than like the actual functionality of the eye. Ah. Mm. Oh, uh, we're gonna learn about eye functionality today. That's great. Is it? An- it's not. Is it another mammal? No, this is. It, it isn't. It's not even a mammal. Yeah. Is it like an octopus? It fucking is. Hey, <laughs> I was just trying to think of what is the most surprising thing. An yeah, alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A literal yeah. alien. <laughs> yeah. A literal alien. Yeah. So it's cephalopods, specifically coleoid cephalopods or soft body ones like squids and octopi. So. Cephalopods are one of the most distant animals evolutionary to humans. Uh, As science writer Peter Godfrey Smith put it, the last common ancestor with humans was, quote, probably an animal about the size of a leech or flatworm with neurons numbering perhaps in the thousands, but not more than that. Wow. Okay. That's a while ago. Yeah, I'll use the the (laughs) phrase aliens, but I have actually heard Peter refer to octopi as the closest things to aliens we have on this planet because they are both intelligent but evolved separately from us. Okay. And like physically distantly separate, like in the ocean, which is also very interesting. So Mm -hmm. um, as an article by Serb and Ernice in the journal Evolution, Education and Outreach, put it, quote, this eye optically functions in a manner similar to the vertebrate eye, making the cephalopod eye a putative example of convergent evolution. Morphological similarities of the eye include an iris, nearly circular lens, 
vitreous cavity and photoreceptor cells that form the retina. Okay. But, uh, you know, obviously other differences are, you know, um, like fly eyes are like compound eyes. So they're like a bunch of tiny things, basically like photoreceptors all on the outside of the eye. You look surprised by this, Sabrina. Do you know when, have you ever watched like a film where they like do it from the perspective of a fly? Because it always shows like loads and loads of different images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because they are like seeing like hundreds of different images that are then yeah, like... Yeah, it's like kaleidoscope-esque. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So yeah. they're all different individual images that they converge into one. Like we have two that look like one. Oh. Oh, okay. Neat. So it is surprising that this eye did evolve like this when it could have evolved Mm -hmm. differently. But because they evolved differently, there is one really interesting difference between them. So to oversimplify, light goes through your pupil and it hits the photoreceptors at the back of your eye. These are your rods and cones. Uh, They sense the photons and then turn that into a neural signal that wires to your brain. In cephalopods, interestingly, this is kind of wired backwards. Basically, these neural cables go in front of the sensors. So you can think of it like having a power cable on the front of your monitor rather than the back. Is, does it change the flow? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Does the information still move the same way? Exactly. The information is the same way. It goes like photoreceptors to electrical signal. But just the way that they are aligned, the light basically passes the cable and then hits the receptor as opposed to the the, the cable being neatly organized in the back. Mm-hmm. It's just a... Um, so it's like different cable management. Yeah, exactly. And it's okay. a little messier. And in vertebrate eyes like ours, it obviously makes a bit more sense. The cabling goes behind the sensors and then to the brain. Uh, you can think of it sort of, again, like it's like a monitor that has a cable in the back of it. With If the cables were to go in front of the sensors, then like how would you connect them back to the brain right you'd have to like bundle them all together in an optic nerve that then goes like back through the eye and then that spot where the nerves all have to like go through to cable manage there would be you couldn't fit any receptors there it would be a blind spot and that would be silly could you imagine an animal having a blind spot in their eyes yeah we have those don't we? We do, because uh, I lied to you. I mixed that up. We are the ones with the blind spots. We are the ones with the backwards wired <gasps> eyes. A plot twist. Wait, what? <laughs> what? No, we... <laughs> we. Wait. What? If you look at any uh, diagram of how photoreceptors are in the back of your eyes, the ganglions, they are in front of the receptors. I'm looking. I'm looking at the image. I can't believe I studied this. Oh my god. You know what? That's insane. So I I feel really bad first of all. I studied biomedical science at university and I and I know the structure of the eye. But when you see the structure where it goes the uh-huh. neuronal cells and then the photoreceptors in that order in a layer. Yeah, yeah. I guess in my head I just switched it over you just well it also makes more sense that mm-hmm. way from like a process because why would it go why would it new- yeah okay and again to your point it doesn't function differently it just happens to be wired that way mm-hmm. for whatever reason the way that cephalopod eyes evolved avoids what david holmes described in the graphic for nature as weird wiring i can show you the diagram this is the one that i had on my wall you had this picture on your wall. I sure did. It'll be in the show notes. That's just, that's slightly disturbing. <laughs> it, was it like a different variation of this image or were you just really into this one Wikimedia result? I'm not going to lie. It is literally this image. It is. Li- I just thought, Stop. I just, <laughs> I was so, it's, it's so cool. I that- have 
I appreciate the concept. It's just a little bit. I had other things on my wall. How big was it? I had like album art and stuff. Was it like, was it a large poster or was it like just an eight and a half like, mile? It was like, okay. like a bookmark size kind uh, of a thing. Oh. Okay, that's not that weird. Okay, I, I thought that this was like a massive blown yeah. up image of what is otherwise like so a relatively I. simple diagram. One wall's the human <laughs> eye, one wall's the octopus eye. And you walk in and you're just like, oh God, I need to leave this room <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um Okay, fine, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> so because cephalopod eyes evolved this better cable management system in their eyeballs, they don't have a blind spot, unlike all vertebrates. So, does that make the cephalopod eye better? N no, I, I would say no, and that's because... Better is a very tricky... Uh, Serena was about to say, hell yeah, it does, uh, it looks like. <laughs> I'm team octopus on this one, to be honest. I mean, I, d I need to know more about the eye in question. Mm. Like, there have to be other exactly. features. <laughs> so, so that's the other thing, is that better is a tricky word in evolution, mm -hmm. right? Um, after all, first of all, it's pretty difficult for humans to notice our blind spot, um, in part because we have two eyes. And in part because our eyes make a lot of uh, small movements. And also in part because our visual perception with our visual cortex can just like smooth all that out. So the fact that we have those never really comes up. Uh, you have to like do a trick to normally find your blind spot. Like cross your eyes or like close one eye and move it in a weird way. Hmm. And there are also some theories uh, like a paper by Labine and Reebok that this backwards wiring might actually improve clarity of our color vision. Basically, because it forms like a longer channel, it, it, it changes the way that light, light goes through. Mm -hmm. So does that make human eyes better? Also, no, because I think when, when we talk about evolution, there's two things that people forget about. The first is the axiom of, I don't know, shrug emoji. Because, <laughs> like, you know, we can definitely scientifically look at some evolutionary reasons for things, but especially when it comes to, like, very, very specific things, if we don't have a strong hypothesis or data, the answer can just be because it happened that way. I think, as well, there's no, like, better or worse in evolutionary terms. You're mm -hmm. perfectly... Yes. You're adapted to... You're perfect just the way you are. The, you're perfect just the way you are. You're adapted to the environment you're in. There's a reason exactly. our eyes are like this, because it benefits us to be like that. Same for the octopus. That's exactly the second reason. The, the concept of better only ever kind of makes sense in the context of that animal, in its niche, its biology, its environment. And there's a very cool study I'm going to share with y'all that shows exactly this, how animals' eyes can evolve to match their niche and their behaviors and their environment. So we've talked on the podcast before about side-facing eyes versus front-facing eyes. Uh, do you remember usually what those mean? Predator, prey? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that was just a test to see if Sabrina actually listens to the podcast. Uh, I just have a cat and I wondered why. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about cats actually. So <gasps> a similar pattern starts to emerge with pupil shape in eyes. Uh -huh. So this comes from an absolutely amazing paper um, from Science by Banks, Sprague, Schmall, Parnell, and Love. They did a meta-analysis of the pupil shapes and behaviors of 214 species of terrestrial animals. And they looked into something that a lot of people have intuited before. So sheep, goats, horses, and deer, do you know what pupil shape they have? Have you ever noticed this? Uh, it's kind of funky. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, goats look like demons. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a reason why the, the depiction of the devil has a goat's head. Because uh-huh. his eyes are it's freaky. Spooky. <laughs> is it rectangular? No, it's not rectangular. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh. It's horizontal and rectangular. <laughs> I thought that was just an anime. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, what pupil shape do cats and also snakes have? It's like oval slit. It's a sharp oval. Exactly, vertical. <laughs> so this, there's this vertical and horizontal uh, difference. And you can obviously tell by these animals that I've grouped together that there is sort of this pattern here. And by doing this meta-analysis, they found exactly that correlation. But there are lots of theories why this correlation of horizontal and vertical eyes might be. You, you have this rough grouping of like these herbivores like deers and goats, and you have this rough grouping of like predators with cats and snakes. Now, one thing is that not only do these herbivores like goats have horizontal pupils, the actual retinas on their eyes are bundled into a horizontal bands. They have a horizontal <laughs> fovea, meaning there's like a dense patch of receptors in a horizontal shape, which is wild. Uh, and this squares with the idea that these animals are trying to see as much around them as possible if they need to run. It's also why they have their eyes on the side of their head. Another theory is that vertical pupils allow for a tighter constriction. And one theory behind this is that you often see this in animals that hunt at night. And the idea is that because these animals have these like very night sensitive eyes, being able to constrict their eyes very tight helps protect their eyes from hurting during the day. Uh, it's sort of like being able to squint your eyes extra tight or, or, or like having like built in sunglasses in your eyeballs. That makes sense. And one thing I didn't know is that horizontal rectangle eyes aren't just like uh, vertical cat eyes turned 90 degrees when they constrict they can only go in the same way cat eyes do. So they go from a rectangle into a square instead of into a slit. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But because that's how our eyes work as well. No, yeah. But do they constrict for the same reasons then? Like light? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to, to let light okay. in. I think that's a, just a mammal thing in general because it'll, right, be a, right. it'll be about the muscles around your Yes, exactly. Around your eyes. Both goat eyes and cat eyes, the way they constrict is sort of like a automatic doors electric doors closing in and opening up as ah. opposed to like you know for exactly the reason ella said it's it's the same muscle group so they move in the same direction gotcha so but like cats aren't always narrow so cats are you saying that like cats sometimes have round pupils right yeah and they, they look adorable yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and then sometimes they get incredibly <laughs> narrow so are you saying like the the superpower that comes with cat eyes mm is that like additional constriction. Yes, yeah. So so like the first superpower is the fact that they have very night sensitive eyes and then the the second superpower is that they can narrow them to then let them function during the day. They have these built-in sunglasses. That makes sense. My cat looks like a different little dude when he's got the big pupils. It is wild. Versus yeah. when he got the freaky tiny pupils. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I look at my cats as they're when they've got their tiny pupils and it looks like there's nothing going on inside of their heads at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, just completely nothing there. It's always when my cat decides to stare directly out of the window on a sunny day. And I'm like, buddy, L, you don't need to do that. <laughs> so, you know, this all makes intuitive sense. Prey animals tend to have horizontal pupils and predator animals, especially ones that hunt at night, tend to have 
vertical, thin, slit pupils. But there is one other thing they looked at in this paper that pushes beyond the intuitive into something really, really clever and interesting. And that is, well, I want to ask a question. What shape are a lion and tiger's pupils? Well, is it another trick question, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> they're cats, aren't well, they're cats. So I would have assumed like a normal cat's eyes, like Sabrina was saying. Vertical? They're not. You might think they might have vertical pupils, but they are circular, hmm. like ours. And they uh. are also sometimes categorized as subcircular, where they're kind of, but for the most part, they are circular, even when they constrict. So, what is the difference, then, between lions and cats? There's two things. Small. <laughs> Ella, you are correct. That is one of them. Oh. So, we'll get to that in a second. The first is that cats are ambush predators. Right. Uh, they tend to pounce once rather than like chase down an animal mm -hmm. uh, they're also called sit and wait predators and the second reason is exactly what ella said it is because cats and snakes are lower to the ground oh. so if you stand and you like look at the floor in front of you it's very clear to see what on the floor is closer and what's farther you know i can see like the trash can is in front of like that pair of shoes but if you're lying on the ground it's a little harder to judge distances and depth perception is harder. So the theory is that vertical pupils sort of blur the image on the horizontal axis and that lets you use the horizontal blur to help you estimate depth. Okay. They describe this as a, quote, blur gradient that they can sort of use like a depth ruler. When something is more blurry or less blurry, you can like, oh, I know that that's farther or closer away. And through their meta-analysis, they found that height of the animal correlates with rounder pupils. So basically, like, the, the trade-off is that, like, when you have the vertical pupil, it actually, it does make the world blurrier because, like, you're, you're turning, <laughs> like, a, a vertical slit into the sensors in the back are, are, are just round. So it, the image is blurry, but then they use that blurriness to help them judge distances. The uh. image is a little less clear, but they can now sense how far away it is better. So when, when their pupils go round, can they see clearly? They see more clearly than when they're, hmm. they're vertical, yeah. I guess it makes sense, because if I go, if I squint my eyes, everything gets real blurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> is, no is it I, I mean, the same concept? <laughs> it's the similar principle. Oh, yes, actually, yeah, yeah. actually, I can tell if you're um, short-sighted mm -hmm. or far-sighted, the shape of your eye is wrong. It's either it's more oval, either squashed flatter from the top to bottom or from side to side, and that causes mm, your mm. pupil to go out of shape, and that's why you have blurry vision. So hmm. that all makes sense to me. <laughs> it is. In the paper, they described uh, astigmatisms in these animals, but they have evolved that way on purpose, which is really interesting. Oh. If you take it to its extreme, did they cover giraffes? Do giraffes have special eyes? They're real tall, aren't they? Well, <laughs> you're, you're kind of leaning to a really interesting... You're very close to something that we are actually just about to cover. But basically, so, so if giraffes were taller, what shape of eyes would you expect them to have? Round. Super round. Perfect yeah, circle. Exactly. Per perfect. The world's perfect, <laughs> most perfect circle. Uh, yeah, because that, that offers the best clarity and you don't need that like depth perception assistance, that trade-off. Mm. But there's there, we can take that one animal further in a very interesting way. So through their mental analysis, they found height correlates with rounder pupils, not just with small and big cats. Foxes have vertical pupils <laughs> and wolves have round pupils. Ooh. 
neat. Oh, I see. Because of the height difference. Okay, fine. Because <laughs> of the height difference, yeah. And the way that they, they hunt also. And uh, on top of that, they included one really interesting observation from an animal outside of this study. What is taller than a giraffe or what gets higher than a giraffe? Bird. Exactly. Ooh. If this theory is correct, that vertical pupils are most useful for animals low to the ground, things like crocodiles and snakes, what shape would we expect bird pupils to be? Circle. Also circle, yeah. Circular. Well, as they say, quote, the only birds known to have a slit pupil are skimmers. Every other ones oh. have circular pupils, which is pretty wild. Uh, even even owls, all, all, all types of birds have circular pupils, except for this type of bird. And the reason why it has a vertical pupil is interesting. They go, the primary foraging method for the black skimmer is to fly close to the water surface with its lower beak in the water, mm -hmm. snapping shut when it contacts prey. The black skimmer is crepuscular or nocturnal. This niche is visually somewhat similar to the ones encountered by short terrestrial predators. Yeah. And they tend to have vertical slit pupils. So... This is the this is a bird that is low to the ground, mm -hmm. low to the water surface when it hunts, like a cat, like a snake, and they have vertical pupils. I do want to be clear though, this isn't like a rule of uh, biology. Like, never forget the axiom of I don't know, um, <laughs> and also the fact that there may be other interacting factors. For example. Um, you'd expect rabbits to have horizontal pupils because they are often prey and they have eyes on the side of their heads, uh, but they have circular pupils. Oh. And, you know, we, we don't have time to go into the reason why every single animal has every single thing. <laughs> no, but... no. I insist. Oh, we do? Okay. I'd love it. Every animal pupil. Yeah, you said they got through 215? <laughs> they only got 215. There's so many more we got to go. Um, <laughs> but in general, from their meta-analysis, animals that are herbivores with eyes on the sides of their heads are more likely to have horizontal pupils. Animals that are nocturnal or both day and night active uh, that are ambush predators and that are low to the ground are more likely to have vertical pupils. Mm -hmm. And if you are an active, taller forger or predator, you are more likely to just need circular eyes. Now, one last bonus thing is that uh, goats and sheep kind of get the boring end of this stick. You know, like they we've mostly focused about like all these these cool like hunting animals and how they use this. But actually, my favorite fact from this whole paper is actually about goat eyes. So an actual resource attached to this paper is a six second clip of a sheep eating grass. And I'm going to show you a picture from that video. Yeah, that's a picture mm -hmm. of a, a sheep. Yeah. Can you see what this sheep is? It's level. Oh, Sabrina got it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so describe this image. Oh. There is a sheep bowing its head to bite some grass. Mm -hmm. Eat some grass. Yeah. I don't know why I said bite. <laughs> That's technically accurate, but bite, you, know. you can't presume it's going to eat. It might just be biting. Mm -hmm. Might just be smelling it. Either way, it's bowing its head down and its eyes. That pupil, which is a horizontal band, is level with the ground it's parallel with it it's like a pupil spirit level <laughs> exactly it's like yeah. a pupil gyroscope that's so funky so even when their heads dip down to eat their grass their eyes are maintaining horizontal level with the ground like with the horizon so they can always be looking for predators they keep an eye out for selena but what does this imply about their eyes then um they they wobble around <laughs> 
Well, it's that they can rotate along this third axis. Because our eyes can, you know, we can tilt, we can yaw, but they can roll their eyes. So if you knock a sheep over, which you aren't supposed to do, because they can't get back up, mm -hmm. do their eyes become vertical? How far can we rotate a sheep's pupil? <laughs> I'm like trying to rotate my eyes now in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this action of like rolling their eyes is called compensatory cycloversions, which is a wonderful word. Lovely. And humans can kind of do it too. Sabrina's <laughs> rolling her head back and forth trying to become one with this the sheep. This is an audio show. I thought I would be safe. You just have to call me out. <laughs> So humans can kind of do it too. There's there's a Steve Mould video where he, he basically like tricks his eyes to do it. It's super interesting, but we can only do it like a few degrees mm. versus goats are able to roll their eyeballs as much as 50 degrees in one direction. Mm. If you roll your eyes up into your head, that is about how much they can in, in this new Z axis, which is amazing. As we've talked about before, birds uh, with their lack of eyeballs, I'm sure are extremely jealous. Birds hate this one weird trick. <laughs> and what's more interesting is just how easy it is to miss this observation that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, so NPR interviewed Jenny Reed, who is a vision scientist at Newcastle University. And she said, quote, I spent a lot of time handling horses and having them put their head down to eat and up to look around and so on. And I had never noticed this. It's just an ordinary observation that anyone could make. And yet apparently it wasn't known to science. Wait, what do you mean it wasn't when known was it, to science? When was it discovered? I feel like it probably was known, and, but it's something that people don't write I think the down. extent to it necessarily. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they hadn't like studied it. Yeah, or the, the reason for it. Right, okay. So. Find yeah, the reason. Yeah. That makes sense. No, yeah, it's not. So it's, like no one ever, no one had ever said, oh, look at that sheep. Yeah, yeah look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but where I think this is actually most important is not for science, but for media. So... NPR in that same article made a comment about vertical pupils and they said, quote, now all of this isn't just important to scientists. Novelists and movie makers constantly have to imagine the pupil shape of fictional characters like Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter or the dinosaur Indominus Rex in Jurassic World. Giving their eyes vertical slits may make them look nice and evil, but Reed says, I think the paper suggests that's unrealistic because both of these creatures are sufficiently high off the ground and they probably have round pupils. That's boring, but you can be scientifically accurate and have your goat Satan monster have their eyes perfectly level while they are like rotating. And oh, that's spooky that's as sick. hell. That would be cool. That's scary. That's spooky as hell and scientifically oh. accurate. I bet no one's ever done that on a, on a horror monster yeah. either. They someone, should... someone, please take that. Yeah, that's so good. Because uh, again, scientifically accurate. So uh, I will begrudgingly bring this to a close. Um, there are, of course, so so many, sorry, so many more IFACs, even just about pupils alone. Uh, I learned from an episode of Just the Zoo of Us that cuttlefish have W-shaped pupils. No. When they constrict, <laughs> they think it's to help with scattering and also possibly camouflage. Um, so they're not just like circular targets. They look sort of just like more natural. And there are even still some pupil mysteries, including the pupils of the yellow-bellied toad, that are, can you guess what shape they are? This is, I originally had this for Caroline. Star. Hearts. They are heart shaped. No. You are doing such a good job of filling in for Caroline. <laughs> no way. As a paper from Servino et al. in 2021 put it, for frogs, quote, several pupil shapes have been described using terms such as horizontal, vertically elliptical, round, rhomboidal, triangular, or even heart shaped. 
Our results indicate that the pupils in anorins is a highly plastic structure with seven main pupil shapes that evolved at least 116 times during the history of the group. Wow. Um, but they go on. <laughs> Unlike the other paper that we I talked about, we found no significant correlation between pupil shape, adult habits, and dial activity with the exception of circular pupils and aquatic habits. So this is just an open mystery still. Just quirky. And even the <laughs> medicine analysis I talked about with uh, land animals, even they include uh, one of my favorite things for papers to include, which is a called shot that is asking for trouble. They say, quote, Interestingly, there were no terrestrial species for which we could obtain the relevant data that had diagonally elongated pupils. So, anyone out there? Uh, I would be more than delighted to issue a correction for this. And also, please drop all your strange facts in the Discord that I couldn't include. But I will end with one last Darwin quote, uh, not from The Origin of Species, but from a letter to a friend, Asa Gray, who had reviewed his book uh, and liked it, but wasn't like a full convert. And so Darwin writes, quote, what you say about my book gratifies me most deeply, and I wish I could feel all was deserved by me. I quite think a review from a man who is not an entire convert, if fair and moderately favorable, is in all respects the best kind of review. About weak points, I agree. The eye to this day gives me a cold shudder. But when I think of the fine known gradations, my reason tells me I ought to conquer the cold shudder. And it is cool to see that now with all we know about evolution, rather than give a cold shudder, all the like still unsolved eye mysteries can fill us with excitement. And a story about a cephalopod eye can actually inspire a student to keep studying and even hang a picture of squid eyes on their dorm wall. Oh, amazing. It went full circle. Yay. <laughs> it, it often does. <laughs> lovely i've got so many facts now like that was like a, a really fact after fact thing you can take that to a party yeah, yeah. i'm gonna be mm -hmm. so annoying <laughs> yeah look at this picture of a goat what's weird about this shit look at <laughs> yeah i i have so much more appreciation for eyes and pupils now i didn't realize there was this much variation i thought they were just we and we were just talking about pupils baby <laughs> like like we are literally there's so much left to learn <laughs> join us again not next time not next time but eventually for Say it. Evolution to electric boogaloo. <laughs> How can a series of marbles and switches be a computer? That might sound like a question from our podcast, but it's a real question and an answer with Turing Tumble. Turing Tumble isn't just a puzzle game that lets you build satisfying marble runs. It's also a mechanical computer. Just like how Tom taught us that PowerPoint is <laughs> Turing complete, so is Turing Tumble, making it an actual real computer. My favorite course is one towards the end of the book, and it is a version of the Dr. Nim game that you can play against the AI of the board. Huh. Uh, it's something I've, I've, as I've seen as someone who studied computer science, but to, to get to build it yourself and see it run was just so much fun. Huh. And, you know, even if you're not a computer scientist, Turing Tumble is still really perfect because it teaches you all of that from the ground up with puzzles that anyone can get into. And it's woven through with an exciting comic book story, so it's really accessible. But not only does Turing Tumble earn the Turing name by being Turing complete, I only learned this recently, a part of each purchase of a Turing Tumble goes towards the Turing Trust 
which is a charitable organization that uh, supports computer literacy and was started by Alan Turing's great nephew. Oh, that's so great. That's so sweet. Which is amazing. Oh. It's, it's just one more reason why I love Turing Tumble. Never stop learning. See the Turing Tumble in action at upperstory.com slash Turing Tumble and use the coupon Let's Learn, all one word, for 10% off your total purchase. That's upperstory.com slash Turing Tumble and code Let's Learn for 10% off. Greatest Trek is the podcast for all your modern Star Trek needs. It's funny, informative, and now it's also timely. That's because every Friday, right after the release of a new episode of Strange New Worlds, Picard, Lower Decks, Discovery, or Prodigy, we bring you a review of that episode. There's some great new Star Trek coming up, and we're going to cover all of it. You'll like our show because we're both former video producers, so we bring a lot of insight into the production and filmmaking aspects to these episodes. And we also have a very refined sense of humor, so we make lots of delightful fart jokes along the way. So come see why Greatest Trek is one of the most popular television recap podcasts on all of the internet. Subscribe to Greatest Trek at MaximumFun.org or in the podcast app you're using right now. The question, today's question is, can we get rid of mosquitoes? So Big question. It is a big question, and I suppose you can phrase it in a few ways, and we're going to answer mm-hmm. kind of different iterations of the question. Well, right. It's Well, first of all, can we get rid of mosquitoes? And then the second death is the last time a mosquito's name is ever uh, uh, remember- <laughs> honored, right? Those are the two deaths of, of art and mosquitoes. <laughs> yep. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was funny it was that's, it. It was that's all i needed as long as you guys don't boo i'm fine <laughs> okay boo <laughs> fuck so the first iteration of the question mm-hmm. is should we get rid of mosquitoes can you suggest some reasons why we should malaria <laughs> malaria is the big one malaria um This is the thing, right? I'm worried that it turns out Mm. mosquitoes are really important for pollination or some essential part of like some (laughs) frog's diet. And then that frog, if we get rid of that frog, it's all over for humanity. Guys, this is is why we should stop asking should first. It's so boring. We got to ask if we can first. I don't know if you have this stat, but like, is it malaria has killed more people than like any other disease in history is that correct i think you're correct and malaria is probably the biggest killer of humans and we will get into that as well yeah but before we get into why we should or shouldn't i think i'm just gonna give a little bit more info about our buzzing foes so do you know how many mos- uh, how many species of mosquitoes there are oh i don't one they could totally be like a, a mono species or could be like one of those things where there's a billion i don't i i, I think i feel like i i see one in my mind so i'm gonna say like fewer i'm gonna guess like maybe like a hand but they're bugs also bugs fucking they i'm gonna say like 12 i'm gonna 12? go for 12 i'm gonna what about you sabrina yeah one that's it one one species no one mosquito actually (laughs) it's causing everything (laughs) just moving really fast i can tell you it's much much higher than 12 oh god dang it why did i say dang no fuck fuck god (laughs) fuck these i'll I'll let you have another guess i'm gonna guess in the thousands yeah there are over 3500 species of mosquitoes identified they make up a family colchidae and they're they're Mm. everywhere on every continent, in every type of <sighs> habitat. Um, they, in every house, well, yeah. in every backyard. The thing is, they 
absolutely as a family thrive in this world. And they have done for millions and millions of years. I guess that's cool and impressive, but also cool and impressive and annoying. <laughs> well, and, and I know it sounds like annoying and scary mm -hmm. to have 3,500 species of mosquitoes. But the thing is, many of them are vegetarian. Oh, slay. Wait, what? Yeah, most Wait, what? <laughs> many mosquito species are vegetarian. How do you mosquito as a vegetarian? Um, well, <laughs> Impossible and beyond. There's like lots of options these days. <laughs> They feed on things like nectar, <laughs> plant sap, and honeydew. Oh, that oh. makes so much... Yeah, they just standard bug. <laughs> well, also, like, why would we jump to, like, blood sucking? It makes sense to go from, like... And we, we've talked about this on the, the, the vamp vampirism episode where it's, like, it seems to evolve from, like, you know, you have this thing that, like, starts with just, like, si sipping all liquid and then, like, w you know, one day evolutionarily, you're, like... Ooh, this blood liquid's kind of interesting too. So that makes, that does make perfect mm -hmm. sense. But um... I imagine the evolutionary similarities are similar, but actually this is kind of different because of the species mm. that do drink blood, only the females do. That's super interesting. I didn't know any of this. This is wild. Is it for food? No, it's, they need it to produce eggs. They need the, the nutrients in the blood to produce what? eggs like iron. Get out of town. It's like they're stealing life. <laughs> Yeah. This is like very vampire-y. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Okay, wait. So, so, so only female mosquitoes. Of the mosquitoes species that do drink blood, only the females do it. Only the females do it and they only do it for reproduction reasons. Yes. So they'll still drink other things. I did not know that. I did not fucking know any of that. I wow. thought it was for a snack. This is wild yeah. to me. <laughs> thought we were Capri Sun. <laughs> I mean, we still are. They still use the nutrients, so it's still food okay. in its way. But they also eat other things. We're like Capri Suns <sighs> that you can only get at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> like for the delivery room. We're like the delivery IVs. But it's, you know, ultimately it's the females that are the source of all of our problems. And then in my <laughs> script, I've just written joke about women here. <laughs> without any i was like uh, you know it'll come to me <laughs> it'll come to me like it always does that i always have that that voice in the back of my head that's always making yeah. these jokes and i just have to let it free uh, i fucking can't fucking okay um joke about now, women here a bit further that's a shirt of mosquitoes that drink blood not all species drink human blood <gasps> of course wow what yeah. Are we going to get it down so that there's only one type of mosquito that drinks human blood? Not quite, but we, we do get the, that number right down. It's a narrowing process. Okay. How human-centric of me to be like, only I have the yummiest blood. Different mosquitoes prefer different animals. Wow. They have like a palate, if you like. Some prefer steak, some <laughs> duck la range, some... Uh, God damn it. Yeah, <laughs> Christ de Guanwe. Uh, <laughs> Some fogwois. That's that means frog legs because yes, they eat mammals, oh. birds, reptiles, amphibians. Oh, that is actually interesting. Amphibians, mm -hmm. even other mosquitoes. No. <gasps> yeah. The aim, the requirement to like target yeah, another mosquito. Point. Wow. Of those that drink human blood, not all carry disease. So our primary suspect here are two mm -hmm. genuses um, and then only some species within that genus. 
Okay. Um, there are other genuses which have di- disease-carrying mosquitoes, but there are only few that do the most damage. Got it. So there's Aedis, mainly Aedis aegypti and Albopictus, which carry yellow fever, dengue, West Nile virus, mm, mm. Uh, chikungunya, and Zika. Got it. And then there's Anopheles, which are the primary vectors of malaria. Didn't know they were oh, different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I always hear about how, like, when there are areas that, like, have mosquitoes that can carry diseases... Like, you'll read about it. And I'm just like, why doesn't that immediately spread to other places? I never considered that it was like the type of yeah, mosquito yeah, that's that there. Could, great point. Yeah. yeah. And that's a really good point about how why these diseases thrive in particular countries like Africa. Interesting. Because the, those mosquitoes are adapted to those conditions. I, I just want to read a short paragraph from, it's actually a Quora answer by a um, professor of entomology at National Taiwan University. Oh, amazing. uh, Matan Shalomi. He says, of the 460 species of Anopheles mosquito, only 100 or so can actually carry the five species of plasmodium that infect humans. Of this hundred, only three or four dozen are good enough vectors to pose a risk to human. Wow. And only a handful of these actually prefer humans as a blood source. And only five carry Plasmodium falciparum, the one species of malaria responsible for the worst symptoms and most deaths. So there's about wow, f- yeah. So it it is it's like a dozen. It's like less than a dozen. It's then like five. <laughs> That's wild. So I was kind of I I was both I was wrong in both directions. It turns out. <laughs> I'll add that of those five, Anopheles gambiae is the species within this genus which causes the most problems mm-hmm. it's linked to the most deaths i love all of those breakdowns of the reasons are so fascinating like the fact that some just like are incompetent it sounded like like just <laughs> not don't pose a threat is a really interesting like another reason why and then like yeah. also most serious like these are you you narrow it down all these ways and i i, I in my mind it's just like mosquito <laughs> yeah and it's not and that and that's an important point because we've narrowed down these 3500 species all the way down to less than 100 that mm-hmm. cause disease in humans, but only a handful that are really impactful. Wow. So do we get rid of all of the mosquito species, all mosquitoes to combat these few species? Mm. Oh, hmm. Uh. I have a question about like the distribution of like the, like the quantities of these. Like, yeah. are the worst ones most mosquitoes or is like, like mm. it's like distributed relatively evenly where there just happens to be a couple of mosquitoes that do a little bit of murder. <laughs> <laughs> no, that I don't know the exact numbers. There are mm-hmm. gen- generally more of like Anopheles gambiae, the ones that cause mm-hmm. the, the most deaths from malaria, but they're not hugely outnumbering the other types of okay. mosquitoes. I'm also sure we're, we're, uh, there might be some data skewing because of the fact that those are the ones we are tracking and are trying mm. to actively. Yeah. Yes, that's a very good point. But so no, we've we've broken it down now. We've got these few mosquitoes. Do we get rid of all of all mosquitoes to get rid of these species? Yeah. At first at first I was like, oh, there's only so few. That's amazing. And then I realized like, oh, that means like there are of all of them, chances are we're gonna hit some other mosquitoes along the way, which yeah, is not good. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Well, it feels like the answer shouldn't be get rid of all the mosquitoes. If there's a good mm-hmm. number of them that are just Doing their thing. Are we gonna find <laughs> out like one of them like cures cancer? Also, is <laughs> like no, oh, nothing, damn it. nothing that dramatic. Um, I mm, wish ugh. when I was reading this, I thought that I would find something dramatic, but you're gonna be quite. an apologist, yeah. become a mosquito. What could the p- potential ecological effects of getting rid of all mosquitoes be? I'm gonna guess pollination, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah pollination is a good one. Mosquitoes are pollinators. Food source mm-hmm. for other animals. Yep, a food source. 
Oh, there's a third thing. There is <laughs> one more thing. thing. Oh, to, for us to practice hand-eye coordination when we're like uh, <laughs> swatting them away, keep us on our toes. They're food for others. Do they hunt other like more annoying animals, insects? They do hunt no. other things, which is important. So, okay, we're going to go through each of these things one by okay. one now. And we'll, st we'll leave that, on that one as last because I guess it's the least understood. So as you said, they're pollinators. We said mosquitoes eat nectar. So there are thousands mm -hmm. of plant species which are pollinated by mosquitoes. Lovely. Wow. But most of them are pollinated by other insects. Mm. Point mm. against. <laughs> yeah, point against. <laughs> Me and Sabrina just have the most <laughs> smug like, oh, interesting smile. I just we feel like, like mm. I'm writing a pros and cons list for killing mosquitoes. This is what we're Honestly, doing. Honestly, yeah. if you want to do it like that, this is kind of like how I was doing it when I was writing these cons. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, this. do they deserve uh. to live? <laughs> um, it's funny. Yeah, some plants, like if you type of orchids, are preferentially pollinated by mosquitoes. So we would risk hmm. losing those if we got rid of mosquitoes. Mm. You know, but I guess the question is, is orchid extinction worse than mosquitoes carrying disease? That's mm. ultimately yeah. what all of these things will come down to. It's a pretty big con. <laughs> so now moving on to their food, mosquitoes being a food source for others. Mosquito mm -hmm. larvae make up a really big part of aquatic ecosystems around the world. Oh, they're larvae. Oh. That makes more sense. There's a fish called the mosquito fish, which is native to the US. They eat them. Hell yeah. As do other species, some turtles, fish, tadpoles. Um, aquatic entomologist Richard Merritt from Michigan State University said that mosquitoes are delectable things to eat. And they're very easy to catch. Mm, hey, Richard, you gotta you gotta clarify. I hope there's a sentence before or after that specifies <laughs> who's doing the snacking. Yeah, who's doing the snacking? Oh no, it's definitely him. It's definitely him. <laughs> they are so good at eating mosquito larvae. They are often introduced into aquatic environments as pest control. Adult mosquitoes are also eaten by a lot of things: fish, birds, salamanders, lizards, Venus flytraps, bats, other insects. Wow! 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 I'm hearing some faves on the potential impact list. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that like maybe mosquitoes yeah. are worth it? <laughs> but here's the thing. Governments often try to introduce mosquito-eating species like these to control mosquito populations. And it always goes great. But it never works because <laughs> nothing Fuck. exclusively eats mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. So they always end up doing more damage to other animals and insects. That's a great point. No, mm. no animals subsist on mosquitoes or their larva alone. Even mosquito fish mm. eat other things. Mm. Birds would probably switch to other insects. Bats that eat mosquitoes mostly eat moths. Mm -hmm. Medical entomologist Janet McAllister Medical entomologist. Uh, says, if you're expending energy, are you going to eat the 22-ounce filet mignon moth or the 6-ounce <laughs> hamburger mosquito? <laughs> What is up with these, these people researchers eating? Are... She also clearly eats bugs. <laughs> Hold on. Are entomologists okay? Um, so, no. Honestly, entomologists believe that there isn't enough evidence that complete mosquito eradication would severely disrupt these food ecosystems. Oh. Oh. Oh, so that's what you were saying. That's a, that's a con for hunting them down, but that's a pro for yeah. the food chain. Yeah. There is one exception to this, though, <laughs> and that is uh, the Arctic tundra. No the fucking location. way. Yes. They're there? They got mosquitoes Dis up there? <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Two species of mosquitoes make up a huge part of the biomass there. Like I said, mosquitoes get everywhere. What? At some times of years, apparently they make up these huge dark clouds. There are that many of them. I Fuck. Stop. <laughs> mm. I'm hearing another reason. Yep, yep, yep. But... This means they're a huge food source for migratory birds that fly into the Arctic tundra. Oh, oh, shit. So Bruce Harrison, an entomologist at the North Carolina Department of Environment and Natural Resources, estimates that the number of migratory birds that nest in the tundra could drop by more than 50% without mosquitoes to eat. Holy piss. Mm, wow. <laughs> but on the other hand... Kathy Kirby, a wildlife biologist at the US Fish and Wildlife Service, says that Arctic mosquitoes don't actually show up in bird stomach samples in high numbers and that Ooh. midges are a more important source of food. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This back whoa. and forth is amazing. I'm yeah. really fascinated. And to what you said, Tom, before, Kathy also says maybe because mosquitoes are preferentially attracted to us, we see more mosquitoes mm. than are actually there when we do look for mosquitoes in the tundra. <gasps> Oh, shit, because they, they're they like, hey, a human tree is here. Oh. It's a very barren place, so if there are food sources there, the mosquitoes are going to go for them. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. So ultimately, we just don't know what would happen in complex mm -hmm. ecosystems if you remove mosquitoes as a food source. Sure. Yeah. Would mosquito fish be able to survive? Would they have to change their diet and then mm -hmm. they'd eat up other food that other yeah, animals rely on? Yeah. Mm. Um, would there be a huge knock-on effect up and down the food chain we just don't mm -hmm. know yeah but moving on to the last point what mosquitoes eat oh mosquito lava are like i said a huge part of these ecosystems and actually uh -huh. they clean they, them up because they eat detritus like dead leaves oh so they're they're like composting and shit they're little composting machines i mean like that's fine i guess i've never thought about that yeah that that's cool let's that's cool. But there <laughs> are other... I'm not impressed. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm more impressed by massive cloud of mosquito and they murder so many people. Then they eat dead leaves. <laughs> but I mean, it is important. Insect larvae in general are necessary to keep freshwater ecosystems mm. clean. Mm. Otherwise, yeah. it would... Okay. The, the creatures and animals in there would die. <sighs> yeah, it does seem impactful. I think it just lacks that wow factor. <laughs> Yeah, it's not as good. Ultimately, Stephen Giuliano, an ecologist, says lots of organisms process detritus. Mosquitoes aren't the only mm -hmm. ones involved or the most important. If you pop one river out of an airplane's wing, it's <laughs> unlikely that the plane will cease to fly. Oh! <laughs> Another ruthless scientist saying, no, get rid of them. All of the quotes you've pulled are just scientists saying, mosquitoes, they're not shit, bro. We can replace yeah. them. They're dust. <laughs> wow. There is one last thing they eat here, because this doesn't seem like a big of a deal, but mosquitoes in the Arctic actually feed on woodland caribou, huh? which doesn't sound great, but no. they do this to such an extent that the caribou can lose up to a litre of blood a week. <gasps> is this impactful to the caribou? Because they're real big. Yes, wait. Oh. It is, it is. Holy it's, piss. It's, they hate it so much. Their migration patterns rely on Stop. avoiding mosquitoes. <gasps> Are you fucking kidding me remember when i joked about like swatting mosquitoes away that's literally what this is oh like, yeah yeah holy shit so they take these longer routes to avoid clouds of mosquitoes because they take longer routes it means they ha they have less time to eat so more caribou die on the way and this has been <sighs> really important for many hundreds of years 
thousands of years probably in maintaining their population size. Oh That's my. such a random way for, for caribou to die. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? If you told me like, oh, the mosquitoes are killing the caribou, I would have assumed like it's a similar way to humans and not, they made them take a circuitous route and then they starved to death. <laughs> They're so annoying. Yeah. They annoyed them to death. Isn't it weird? I think that's wild. Wow. So if we get rid of mosquitoes, it may mean an increase in caribou numbers, which could affect the, the ecosystem they live in mm -hmm. because of, of their eating habits. This has the wow factor, Ella. <laughs> <laughs> but due to human-caused habitat destruction, caribou numbers Stop. are historically low right now. So we need more caribou. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're down from hundreds of thousands to tens of thousands of caribou. So actually, we probably want to increase their numbers. Yeah. This is, I can't believe you're making me want to be like on this one thing, be like pro posture. <laughs> <laughs> The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like, this is the most that statement ever. Yeah. Oh, my god. It really is. So. Oh, God. There you go. Those are the unique ways which might impact the ecosystems that mosquitoes are part of. As you can see, it's not a simple answer. Mm -hmm. Ella, I so applaud your ability to really try to see both sides. Instead, yeah. instead the moment you see something that's like anti-mosquito, be like, and that's all I'm going to mention. Yeah. Uh, I, I really appreciate you willing to... Uh, it's so interesting. Wow. I do think it's important to say that total mosquito eradication would almost definitely have a substantial knock-on effect. Sure, if we Thanos mm -hmm. snapped them. But how severe <laughs> that is, is really difficult to tell. Like, entomologists, ecologists have no idea. But I think maybe I was naive when I went into this because I really thought researchers would give a strong case for not getting rid of an entire species <laughs> of, or entire mm -hmm. type of animal. I am surprised how many are like... They really don't. <laughs> They, they really often go the other way completely. I have a few more wow. quotes from entomologists and ecologists. I love it. God. Entomologists, y'all rock. These are all killer quotes. Joe Conlon says, they don't occupy an unassailable niche in the environment. If we eradicated them tomorrow, the ecosystems where they are active will hiccup and then get on with life. Something better or worse would take over. This feels personal. Hiccup! Hiccup! Yeah. Carlos Brissola Marcondes says... A world without mosquitoes would be more secure for us. The elimination of Anopheles would be very significant for mankind. Janet McAllister says, if there was a benefit to having them around, we would have found a way to exploit them already. Holy shit. We never wanted anything from mosquitoes except for them to go away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I... Yeah, the, the wow. capitalists would have figured out how to use mosquitoes if they were to good. Say, yeah. <laughs> this, yes, absolutely. This the, that's like the third chapter of uh, Adam Smith's book, right? He says like, and that's why we should get rid of mosquitoes. Like, this is why the invisible hand of mosquitoes. Paul Marx was like, this is the only thing I gotta give to capitalists <laughs> is that we should get rid of mosquitoes. Is the risk of maybe altering ecosystems worth getting rid of what is arguably humanity's greatest foe? Some quick facts. In 2021, there were an estimated 247 million cases of malaria worldwide. Million! What? Million. That's so much more malaria than I expected. 257 million cases, <laughs> 619,000 deaths. Africa shares oh a disproportionately gosh. large share of this with 95% mm -hmm. of malaria cases and deaths. Mosquitoes wow. kill over 700,000 people a year globally. So how are you feeling now? Should we get rid of them? <laughs> Uh, I mean, 
Listen, yes, personally, yes, yes, please, <laughs> if you're asking me. That's not a trick question. <laughs> I, I have heard this thing. Haven't they been trying to figure out how to, like, modify mosquitoes in order for yes, them to just Sabrina. not be able to carry disease? Oh. Yeah, oh, yes, Sabrina, we're going to get into that now. <laughs> so you were just setting us up for potentially ruining the ecosystem or accepting human yeah. death. <laughs> there was no third option. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to know. So this is it. How about instead of total mosquito eradication, we try extirpation? Reasoning with them. Excuse yeah, re me, what's that word? <laughs> extirpation. It's a local extinction from a smaller area rather than the whole planet. Mm -hmm. So oh. you could focus on a few species, for example, the ones that cause the most of our problems. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So now I have a few examples of us. We're getting into the hard science. How do we get rid of mosquitoes? Any suggestions? <laughs> Sabrina, you had one there, or at least how to get rid of the disease. Yeah, I guess the other one was like, can you stop them from reproducing? Yes, yes, you can. So this is mm -hmm. called classic sterile insect technique. It's actually been used to control mm. insect pests since the 1950s. Mm. So you basically rage a huge number of male mosquitoes. You irradiate them so they're infertile. Give them condoms. <laughs> oh, wow. And then you release them into the wild en masse. So they'll mate with females, but the eggs won't hatch. Oh, so then their population huh. numbers should decline. How do you get that many mosquitoes in a room? You get me. <laughs> Apparently attracts them. Yeah. yeah. Insects are pretty easy to breed. Oh, that's fair. I'm more interested in how they like separate the male mosquitoes out from the females in this. I don't understand that, but... Insert joke about women here. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yes. I used to do work with fruit flies and I had to sex the fruit. I had to like, when I was doing genetic crosses, I had to look at them fruit flies under the microscope to see which one me? male and female and separate them so that I, they wouldn't breed you're the second person i know who's had to do that in life really <laughs> <laughs> so funny so this third sorry <laughs> Why? We forget, otherwise you're gonna get a stern message from a friend that's like um excuse me i did not do that for you to forget me i had um i used to have a box of like fruit flies that said Ella's virgins on, which are like the ones that <laughs> females that hadn't mated. Entomologists need to fucking calm down. I swear <laughs> to God, they need to stop. So along these same lines, there is a genetic modification technique, which stops the offspring from developing into adults as well. Oh. Also kind of in the process, the sterilization technique is already being used though in Italy and it's been tested in Florida right now as well. Oh, wow. Neat. How long have those been going? All of these things are like in the last couple of decades we're talking, you mm, know? Mm, gotcha. Mm. So we have techniques which affect fertility and development, but what about just straight up killing those bastards? How would you kill them? A very small gun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sabrina, that's my answer. I'm the resident American here. Because I'm trying, like, there's the, like pesticides and stuff or poisoning them, but that yeah. seems like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not bueno. I think pesticides and poisons wouldn't be effective enough without also destroying the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are we, um, I mean, we could get Mosquitoes Georg in, but I think he's... Uh, <laughs> Is there, are you going to talk about, I feel like maybe like 10, 12 years ago, I remember there being like a Gates Foundation thing about. That's the, called the World uh, Mosquito Program. And I will talk about this now as you brought it up. This isn't killing the is mosquitoes. Is it the laser? No. Oh no, this isn't the laser. It's supporting the mosquitoes. It's getting them through school. 
<laughs> so actually, so I actually don't know what you're talking about. Bill Gates does fund a lot of mosquitoes projects. So it, there could be another one. But the mm -hmm. one I'm thinking of is the World Mosquito Program, which right now are using bacteria not to kill the mosquitoes, but to stop them from spreading disease. Like Sabrina was saying. Bacteria, interesting. So there's this bacteria called Wolbachia pipientis, which naturally infects about half of all insect species anyway, but it doesn't normally affect Aedes aegypti, um, which transmit mm. dengue as eco, like I said. Mm -hmm. However, you can get them to carry it, which the World Mosquito Program scientists did. The Wolbachia then outcompetes the other viruses in the mosquito. And so they can no longer carry disease. It wins the disease game. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's wild. I would not have guessed that. That makes sense, though. It wins the disease game. Because um, a lot of these viruses um, reproduce in the mosquito's mm -hmm. gut. Fill them with a good disease or like a neutral thing yeah. instead. So the modified mosquitoes are then released into the wild and spread the bacteria to wild populations. And in theory, oh. that will reduce the transmission of the virus. So a trial of this was done in Indonesia and it reduced dengue transmission by 77%. Holy nice. shit, you love, love to hear it. a good number like that. <laughs> it's also been tested in five cities in Brazil with slightly less success, but it's still promising. So now mm -hmm. the World Mosquito Program is going to release millions of these modified mosquitoes all across Brazil over the next 10 years. I didn't realize this was happening. Like, yeah. like this is actively happening. That's yeah. wild. They're setting up the labs now to, to make the mosquitoes and to breed them, but- That's cool. It's very cool so there's only one more i want to talk about to wrap this whole thing up mm -hmm. and it's good actually i was going to speak about this before the world mosquito program but it's good to end on something that really just kills them because fuck them you know <laughs> you want to cause them harm yeah mm -hmm. and one way some researchers are going about this is using fungus oh shit we're gonna last of us them we're gonna we're literally last of us them but not quite zombie so there's this fungus <laughs> called metarizium pingshens which can infect and kill mosquitoes um now this alone is not enough to control the mosquito population there isn't enough okay. of that fungus it's not deadly enough uh-huh but researchers genetically modified this fungus to be cruel and unusual <laughs> in punishment yes it now produces venom Ella. from the funnel web spider what? no <laughs> I what you know when you should have asked if you should have done this? Creating yeah. creating a, a, a venomous, not just Fungus, poisonous, a venomous but from a spider. different spider. I don't like that. I'm excited. No. I, this is metal. This is metal as hell. So the researchers, they built a fake village covered in a net in Burkina Faso called the Mosquito Sphere. It's like, it was a huge, huge village. And they populated it with, with the fungus and 1,500 initially mosquitoes that carry malaria. So the fungus was actually put on black sheets and mosquitoes are attracted. They're drawn to the, oh. uh, the color black. Mm -hmm. So when they landed, it would infect them. The fungus would infect them. And within 45 days, the population of those mosquitoes crashed by 99%. 99? That's a... <laughs> but more importantly you could hear the screams which is what we really wanted with this one is could that fungus harm things that aren't mosquitoes yeah i'm a little especially if they've got extra weaponry so uh-huh the idea is that no they sh it shouldn't 
but mm-hmm. it hasn't been tested enough to say that for sure. It is cool mm-hmm. that they did a test like this. That's yeah. wild, yeah. To like make a whole fake village. <laughs> yeah, it's called a semi-field experiment. So you, you have naturalistic cool. setting, but without mm-hmm. having any risk of putting it into the wild. Super cool, yeah. I want to go to Mosquito <laughs> World, the latest Disney attraction. <laughs> oh wait, Disney doesn't have mosquitoes. So maybe that's the solution. Maybe that's the capitalist solution. <laughs> But there you go. Those are some ways we could get rid of mosquitoes. That last one is uh, unlike the World Mosquito Program, which is already kind of out in the world. Mm -hmm. And the sterile technique that one's uh-huh. more this one's still more experimental yeah by the way i looked up really quick the laser it seems like it got some attention in the early 2000s and hasn't been oh, okay. seems like it was a cool gimmick maybe <laughs> possibly anyway this brings us to the end of the question should we kill all mosquitoes maybe not it's difficult to know how it would affect the ecosystem could we kill them all Probably not. Even our most effective methods right now don't either don't work on a large scale or have yet to be tested. But as with most of science, this is not a game of absolutes. We can't really take a sledgehammer approach to this situation. It involves, yeah. you know, cleverly working around the problem, trying to take out the disease-carrying population of mosquitoes to save millions of lives. Thank you. This has been truly wild. It's That was beautiful and thoughtful. Even if we don't have a solid answer, just to see the thought gone into to mm-hmm. some of these chain reactions is is so wild. It's also really interesting to see how many people deeply, genuinely loathe mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, like entomologists who you think would be like people yeah, who could be like, have a bit of compassion in their hearts for insects. They're like, no, fuck those guys. <laughs> There are two things I really love in this world. Really good pasta and not leaving my house to do things. Finally, I can combine these things with wild grain. It sounds too good to be true. <laughs> Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. You can listen to a third of an episode of Let's Learn Everything While You Wait. <laughs> it is so fast, in fact, that when I realized today we were doing a Wild Grain ad, to refamiliarize myself, I just made something this morning. Because oh. it's that easy. Uh, I made the slowly fermented cranberry pecan bread. Oh, and it is amazing, that nutty, lovely. fruity, super good. And what's more, for every new member, Wild Grain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank so you can eat nice bread and do a nice thing <laughs> at the same time. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box. Croissants! When you go to... <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> when you go to wildgrain.com slash let's learn to start your subscription, you heard me. Free croissant. croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash let's learn. That's wildgrain.com slash let's learn or you can use promo code let's learn at checkout or one word. <laughs> you know what else is one word, Ella? <laughs> Hey there, this is Drea Clark. This is Alonzo Duralde. And this is Sparta! Iffy. Listen, I got 300 on the brain. We just watched the movie 300 in honor of our 300th episode of Maximum Film. That's right. And to celebrate this major milestone, we brought back original co-hosts Ricky Carmona and April Wolf. But just for this one episode, right? 
Oh, Iffy, you know we could never replace you. Some of the voices have changed over the years. Heck, the name of the show has changed too. But through it all, Maximum Film remains the movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white guys. Deal with it. Find this and all 300 episodes of Maximum Film anytime on MaximumFun.org. Today's miscellaneous topic is bagged milk. Uh, yeah, specific- <laughs> this is so. This is more enthusiasm than I expected. <laughs> this is a very Tom topic. <laughs> uh, like something so innocuous that actually, I'm gonna guess is like secretly amazing. P- please tell me it is. It's, it's no. It's boring. Oh For no! The most part, Why are you here, Sabrina? A- <laughs> no. Okay. So I should specify that I'm talking about bagged milk in Canada, specifically like three places in Canada. Oh, uh, okay. This is very niche. Ah, uh, yeah. As if it couldn't get more. It, it gets real niche. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's I love it. specifically in like the province of Ontario, Quebec, and uh, the Maritime region, which is like a cluster of different provinces. Well, I guess it is weird that it is that specific. Yeah, it's specific. I I grew up in Canada, in mm-hmm. Alberta. Wait, what? I'm sorry. Wh- how has this never come up? I don't know. I guess we, we've never had a Canadian on. I guess, yeah. This is the first time we've talked about Canada. What the fuck? Yeah. Okay, sorry, continue. That's wild. <laughs> Alberta? <laughs> yeah, my dad my, my dad was in the army, so I, sent, ah. I lived there for six years. Mm. And we had bagged milk. Oh, shit. But I'd, like, I'd seen it. I've seen it, but mm-hmm. we never used it because we were a British family, and that was freaky and weird. <gasps> Interesting. <laughs> so I do know why you encountered bagged milk. I also think it's interesting that you as a British person are saying, no, no, no bag milk. Because <laughs> no here's... Bag, no, no. <laughs> wow. I had no idea this was such a personal to Ella thing. That's such a <laughs> wild coincidence that Ella has personal experience. I've never seen bag milk. Ah, interesting. Yeah, because it bag milk... I'm telling the story of bag milk in specific parts of Canada, but bag milk mm-hmm. as a whole exists in a bunch of different countries mm-hmm. for various reasons. Um, some mm-hmm. reasons that I'll get into, but like some of them are more specific than others. Uh, but including the UK, the UK, uh, I think a grocery store chain there, I think it might, uh, no, I'm not even going to try and name a grocery store chain. Just say something Britishy. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Poppins. Mary Poppins. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, like it, it's been experimented with. Bag milk has been experimented with in a bunch of different countries as well. It has not been, I can tell you it's not been taken on here in the UK. <laughs> I reckon I could ask anyone I know who's British and they will never have drank bagged milk. So the thing that makes like Ontario, Quebec and the Maritimes somewhat more special, it's primarily in Ontario, I think, is that like bagged milk is a very common, almost universal experience. I thought bagged milk was the norm and I thought that it was just a quirky (laughs) thing that Americans did on TV shows where they had gallon jugs and cartons that they drank straight from. I thought it was fake. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, but I, you have heard of bagged milk, but can you describe what you think bagged milk looks like? Yeah, I'll let Tom, I'll let Tom describe it because I know mm-hmm. what it looks like and how to use it. Okay, so well, the one thing, because I am familiar with like, um, I feel like in like uh, Southeast Asian countries, there's the tend of like the bag drinks, like the Thai iced tea and like mm-hmm. the bubble tea in like a sort of a plasticky bag. So I'm picturing, I don't know, like an IV fluid bag kind of... <laughs> Is the thing I think. Um, do you like fear. cut Your a corner and you start pouring? Do you like roll it to close it? What do you do? You, so you're Help. you're saying that you like hold the bag? No, 
just like a, put it in a juicy jug. little dumpling and then you snip it. Oh. <laughs> you right, you put the you have a jug that you put the bag into, right? And then you cut I, the corner. I'm picturing I'm picturing a a Ziploc bag that like some of them can stand with if you angle the plastic and then you No, I think you unzip the Ziploc bag of milk and then you put a spoon in and you spoon out the milk you need <laughs> you every time. <laughs> okay. So It's like a Tide Pod. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so hmm? Ella definitely knows what bag milk is. Tom <laughs> is doing his best. So there are two I main types. Bag. <laughs> there are two main types of bag milk. One is actually quite predominantly seen in Asian countries, where they're kind of like smaller individual pouches. Um, you'll see them pop up in other parts of the world, but like it's just a quirky way to make a single serve drink. It's like a Capri mm, Sun, mm. but they're funkier shaped, and they have mm. milk in it. Instead of juice, my I have some quarrels and qualms with milk, particularly because I'm lactose intolerant. But still, I have. Uh, I was gonna say I like the sound of that. I would drink my. I would drink milk out of a, a little baggie. <laughs> Ooh, what a vile! Ella made a go What a vile! Like a gal. Yeah, like a like a go gurt. You you just squeeze yeah. the whole thing in. There <laughs> is something quite satisfying at the idea of like being able to palm some milk or liquid like an apple yeah. and just being able to just really get into it oh you want to bite the the skin of the bag <laughs> that wasn't what you were saying you like your milk peeled or unpeeled or with the skin on yeah how do you peel can you peel your bag and bag milk in one go <laughs> but so that's one type of bag milk but the bag milk that appears in uh canada is larger it's a it's 1.3 liters nowadays um it is kind of oh, like wow. a ziploc bag but it's ziploc bagged in shape in terms of being a rectangle but kind of like a tide pod in the sense that it's all sealed up i'm describing a rectangle a rectangle of plastic it's a plastic <laughs> rectangle full of liquid it's like a goat eye <laughs> yes uh, it's a it's mm -hmm. quite a thin plastic so it's it is mm. ziploc bag and feel uh, if not thinner. Got it. So cheap, no-name brand Ziploc bag <laughs> and feel. Um, nice. It's full of milk. Uh, the way that you use it, you don't just snip off a corner and, like, raw dog the bag, because that uh -huh. lacks a lot. <laughs> raw dog. <laughs> raw dog. <laughs> you <a> horrible description. <laughs> but you slip it into a pitcher. Uh, there's usually, like, a special, specific pitcher that you could just grab at the grocery store for, like, a dollar or two. Um, but it is essentially just a pitcher. It just needs to, like hold a large amount of the bag without completely covering it pour it into the pitcher or you put the bag in the pitcher you put the you put the bag the, the milk bag, in. bag and all inside otherwise of the, the milk could go off quicker right so yes you want it yes so then you snip off the corners or corner this is like a point of contention between people but you can snip off the there's a there's a wide side of the bag and a skinny side of the bag right and you, oh and there's people on both sides there are people Tale who want to snip off both corners you pour it so that the air can flow through smoothly and like apparently oh. it's a better pour it's a better pour of milk like a soy sauce container that has yes. on both sides yeah oh. interesting um, but yeah i personally grew up in a house where you only snip like the front pouring spout and then you just pinch the other end and then you just pour the bag 
you pour the bag and pitcher oh. together and it holds the uh the milk bag up because like it does lack some structural integrity so sometimes mm-hmm. the milk bag will just slosh over dramatically and then it all of your aim is off there's milk everywhere it's chaos can i look up a picture real quick of course yeah it boggles the mind <laughs> i know all, all i'm gonna do is see a bag of milk it's yep. just a bag of the picture bag yep of it's milk. just a bag of the picture Sure is. So I feel stupid for Googling it. That's exactly what you would think it is. It's a pitcher holding a bag of milk. It is. So yeah, uh, there. that is what bag milk looks like. That's how it works in Canada. How do you close it? You don't. This is a controversial thing. So there, you guys have flagged like a couple Ooh. of concerns with bag milk. So I think that I might as well just get to it now. So should we exterminate bag milk? <laughs> okay. How can we exterminate bag milk? We got to make sure that the bag milk is infertile. We cannot let the bag milk be produced. <laughs> I got to say, these, some of these quotes are disgusting because it sounds like the people are like actually drinking the bag milk. I know they're not t- actually talking about that, but the like, quotes make it sound like that. If we had a use for bagged milk... We would have figured it out by now. (laughs) Um, Okay, so on the subject of spoilage, there hasn't been a lot of research that's gone into bagged milk. I'm not going to lie to you. Shocking. (laughs) It's not a hot topic. Bagged milk is not our biggest foe. However, in terms of like anecdotal experience from people who use bagged milk, the people who use bagged milk also know what carton milk is they've used jugs of milk before um it's okay. not like we're people in canada just don't know the potential out there. <laughs> they don't know they could have a better life oh, but, we're looking at you from other countries like it's so sad it's so sad what they don't they even know don't tell them <laughs> let them live in bliss but but yeah because there's a couple of reasons why it might be less likely or at least not more likely to spoil even though it's in the fridge one the hole you huh. cut is very small right it it's just enough to pour a little mm-hmm. bit of milk it's not as big as like the spout that okay. you have in a carton or jug so at that point it you don't have that much risk the other thing is that the amount of milk that you have in any individual bag is a relatively small amount. However, it is sold in larger amounts mm. that are designed primarily to targeting families because it's sold in three mm, bags mm, of 1.3 mm. liters to make four liters total, approximately a gallon, right? Individuals who aren't getting through a lot Got of it. milk aren't really buying four liters of milk at a time. So. Right. There's already like a higher demand associated with the people who would buy bagged milk in the first place. And then the actual milk that's ever open at any given moment is relatively small. So Mm -hmm. you're drinking the milk before it goes off. Also, you can see the milk. That helps you decide immediately if like, oh, I should really finish this if it's just a little bit left. Not only that, you can give it a good old squeeze now because it's in the bag. Just give it. (laughs) I I cannot. I do love the idea of, I'm a very sensory person. I love the idea of holding the bag of milk and sloshing it around in my hands. Have you? Did you get a chance to do it when you lived in Canada? No, I never used it. Never used it. We were you too were averse to the idea. Sabrina, if we ever end up for some reason in Toronto, we that's the first thing we're gonna do. Hold some bagged milk at the groceries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wretched. Yeah, it's just like a heavy, cold hacky sack. <laughs> Anyway, so that's kind of like the situation around spoilage. And then in terms of the environmental impact of bagged Mm. milk, once again, not a lot of studies about milk (laughs) in general, but uh, there have been some that like 
argue specific points about why bagged milk might be better than some alternatives. And it's just in terms of like limiting harm because it does use less plastic than like thicker jugs or glasses that rarely get recycled because there's not a lot of recycling glass programs in Canada. Hmm. Hmm. So it uses less plastic. It's more efficient to ship in some cases just because you just get a lot of bags together. It's just, it's so it's hmm. so soft that they could meld together in uh, relatively yeah, more space sense. efficient ways. Okay, okay. They're also less fragile than you might expect. Like if you drop a bag hmm. of milk, that bag of milk's probably gonna be okay. As one does. <laughs> they can be a little bit slippery. <laughs> they get away from you. <laughs> so like a lot of the time, if you drop like bagged milk versus like jugs or glass bottles, even uh, bagged milk is okay, right? It's like, it's, it's, hmm. it's more robust on that front. That isn't to say that bagged milk is better for the environment than other things, but there are reasons to believe why it might be. Um, I think the mm -hmm. overall question is more like, what about milk in general? How many yeah, cows I was going to say, <laughs> probably just don't drink milk if you're worried yeah. about the environment. I feel like yeah. if you're splitting the hairs between like <laughs> bagged or carton milk, you've already yeah. lost that battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 But now it's time to ask the question, why do we have bagged milk? Yeah. There isn't anything to say like, oh, yeah, we need bagged milk. It is the optimal solution. So why do parts of Canada have it? Why is it occurring in some parts of Canada, but not all of them, at least to the same degree? And it has to do with units of measurement. Oh, <laughs> oh a classic villain. It's, you, you keep on saying it in liters. Mm -hmm. Oh, that should have tipped me off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you guys use um, metric for everything? The, oh, let me get into it. Oh, boy. Okay. So just a little bit of a preface. In the 1960s, DuPont, it's an engineering company, they invent this plastic film container, right? Like the, it is essentially the bag that holds the milk that we know now. Mm -hmm. um, this is just a technology that existed. Some companies experimented with holding liquids in it, yada, yada. But mm -hmm. it was weird looking. Nobody wanted their liquids <laughs> in plastic. Also around this time and all of the years prior, Canada was largely using the imperial system. Okay. It is due to the fact that we are such in such close proximity with the United States that we fell for their tricks. <laughs> 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 They're like a really common trading partner with Canada. It just seemed like it, mm, it, it was just kind of natural mm. that like people in Canada used uh, the imperial system because we're largely communicating with Americans a lot of the time. But... Very few countries use it. So at some point, a bunch of various industries lobbied the Canadian government. And they were like, hey, you hear about the metric system? Looking pretty Ooh. good. Looking pretty sexy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the number 10. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in around that was around the 70s where uh, the government is getting lobbied to switch to the metric system. And under the Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, who is the father of the current Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, oh, he was like, okay, let's do it. Canada is getting metricated. It's called the metrication of Canada, uh, which is a word. It's actually metrication. Yes, it, the process, oh, that's the so process of adopting the metric system. So government is lobbied 
to switch to the metric system. And it was like a massive effort. There were committees, of course, and there was even one Labor Day weekend in like 1977 uh, where they just switched all of the speed limit signs. They went from miles what? to kilometers. That they just did it. so dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's that's... That's asking for, because that's like double. That's, um... Yeah. Um, but the, th the thing was, is because it, it, this wasn't a single thing. They, needed, they knew that they needed to implement this across industries like quite quickly to make sure that everybody was on the same page. The nation as a whole, they, some people were for it. Some people were like, why are you just making things confusing? I personally don't care. So there was like a bunch of these major industry shifts that needed to accommodate uh, this metrication process. One of which was the fact that prepackaged foods needed to be um, distributed with uh, metric labels. Prior to this, milk was just going the good old American way. We got gallons. So then uh, these companies, like these milk companies, <laughs> the milk industry in Canada, big, big milk. milk. <laughs> I hate us. <laughs> They're faced with this uh, challenge where they need to now produce milk in uh, metric units. Now, I am not entirely sure why they decided that they needed to go with like a round metric number because there is precedence for some prepackaged foods to simply take sure. the to convert directly from the imperial amount to the metric amount, and then they just sell yeah. it at that amount. Mm. But the milk industry, for one reason or another, decided not to do that. I wonder if this is like prime, like Mad Men times, where they're yeah. like, like the five ninety nine is like, oh, you guys do this to make it <laughs> sellable or something. Yeah, and there there's reason to believe that there was like that kind of thought process involved because mm -hmm. they decided that they had gone from gallon. Uh, containers of milk and they were like okay so if we need to switch this and convert this to metric units it would end up being around 3.7 uh, liters which is not a sexy number so then they decided okay we should just increase the amount of milk that we sell in these units okay so they decided to go with four liter but then they were faced with this challenge of okay, how do we change the sizes of these bottles and these gallon jugs? Like, that is going to require a oh. whole new set of machinery. Like, it was going to be okay. incredibly expensive oh. and very time costly to pursue this process compared to this fancy new technology that DuPont recently released, which is no these way. bags. Fancy plastic bag. Plastic bag. <laughs> very fancy. Um, and so like, I don't see why they didn't just do a straight conversion, like just say, okay, this is, it's a gallon. So now it's one point, whatever. Yeah. Liters, this pros cons know? list is a little, mm -hmm. is a little, but I see, I see how it's happening. Yeah. yeah. So now they're faced with a situation where there's these new costings. And so they decide like, okay, let's go with this bag milk technology. Um, in terms of why they- Born in technology, it's not technology. Well, it, it, it is notable that they were able to seal the bag in such a way that it was like robust okay, enough yeah. to actually hold the milk. It held the milk together. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, tech. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah that's Fine. cool. At, the, at around the same time in this process, they also decided to increase the amount of milk that they sold rather than just doing a straight conversion for the gallon, which is to say like 3.7-ish liters. Sure. They decided to increase it to four liters uh, by selling three individual baggies of 1.3 liters sold together 
as four liters. I don't know how okay. precise each that is. individually. That's that they're not four one liter ones. Like they <laughs> guys, yeah. if you're already what, doing this for choice it wasn't the whole point. So Fuck. confusing to me. Fucking. <sighs> they might have chosen three bags, like to ch to choose to divide by three bags. So I cannot say for sure. Sure, sure. I do not represent the milk industry in Canada. <laughs> However, you were there in the room where it happened. <laughs> there's two reasons. One, the reason why they chose to increase the amount of milk rather than decrease it um, was because they were worried that people wouldn't be, want to buy less milk. It would just be harder for consumers to mentally swallow, which can also justify like why they made a lot of these decisions in general, like these these bizarre decisions. And it might have just been like heavy marketing brain. They were just like, ah, oh, we got to get into the mind of the consumer. That's what it seems mm. like. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of why divided by three rather than providing four bags of one liter, uh, there was some precedent for uh, selling three bags, like sets of three already in this bagged form. Uh, so people oh, who are already okay. buying bagged milk might have been more used to this process. Oh, I see. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, you know, it's, it's a classic formula. Let's learn everything. Answer in progress. Mm -hmm. Boy, genius. It's sets, <laughs> a sets of three. It works. It works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like historically, like those bags of threes had been like three pint bags of milk. They just bumped it up to the liter perspective, the uh, okay, metric I'm perspective. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the logic. But as you can tell from this conversation uh, that we've had, <laughs> uh, it is bizarre. The roller coaster of an experience of switching yeah, from yeah. Imperial to the metric system is a wild one. It is frustrating. Yeah. Um, it is sometimes <laughs> illogical. It is just strange, right? Like it doesn't need to occur in everything for society to keep running. And yeah. at some point, the government switched over in Canada and they were like, that's enough now. We don't actually need to keep doing this, <laughs> which ended up killing a lot of the requirements around metrication like all of those things were no longer oh being god. enforced as strictly oh my god and so for a lot of the places that didn't really have a reason to have bagged milk or like other instances but specifically bagged milk mm -hmm. it kind of just got phased out because it is a funky weird thing yeah. and it was only in the few places where bagged milk really got popular and didn't have as much competition from alternative milk containers uh, <laughs> that it just stuck around and now it's just part of daily life but it isn't part of daily yeah. life for all canadians that's it that is <laughs> what a wild. wild ride i can't believe that the the metrification of canada played into this yeah <laughs> i can't believe it i can believe it now but it's not where yeah. i was expecting it to go at yeah. all yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's like also clearly some influence about like plastic tech around mm -hmm. the same time that like definitely seems to have played an influence and then like marketing analysis with like pricing and then also like government influence is also mm -hmm. like such a it's quite complicated yeah it's like it's like you know pulling the mask off of the boogeyman and it's like wait there's like three different heads here and it's <laughs> yeah. like plastic and like uh the metric system i would not have expected <laughs> that trait. to be the the person under the ghost i would totally buy bagged milk because i love the idea of holding it like i said <laughs> You can't just fill a Ziploc bag with water. I'm certain it's the same experience. It's not, it's not no, the same. No, DIY bag milk is not okay. That's... It's not as authentic. It, it doesn't have that modern milk technology. I was going to say. 
It's, it's review <laughs> That's the weird one of the weirder ones I've done. Today's review comes from at nerdy and quirky. I and they hate say, you. You're that's the worst. <laughs> Never sign up for the internet as a child. You'll end up with the worst handles. Um, I just want to come up with one off the dome. I've been a fan of this podcast for most of its existence potentially um and it is always such a lovely time between three friends and occasionally some rando who swoops in from the shadows (laughs) um where you just get to be excited about interesting information and i think that the information is always so genuinely interesting because y'all have this ability to dive deep into Sometimes extremely mundane subjects, but I think that's it's it's just remarkable regardless. Um, and it makes me feel so happy to be living on this planet and getting to experience the world from your guys' perspective, just even for the brief instance that this podcast fills my days, and it's always lovely. Also, we oh. get to learn weird oh. facts about Tom, like his like his bizarre eyeball poster. <laughs> Oh, Sabrina. Thank you. So, so good. That, that was very, I felt like we were really patting ourselves on the back, having someone come and do a review live for us. <laughs> I think we should do that every week. Yeah. And uh, Sabrina left three three stars. Okay. Huh. okay. Weird. Huh. I don't know how anyway. to leave a review on iTunes. Um, but no, Sabrina, you are a, a very clearly also... Review. There's no need for a counter review. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep it short. We are so glad to have you, and you you've been uh, fit in so well. You do you fit that that topic was so good for the podcast. Big misc energy Perfect, was really big, really seamless. Sabrina's got big misc energy. <laughs> <laughs> Quick announcement is that if you go to let's learn everything pod.com you can find a form to let us know what your favorite topics and bits have been from the podcast uh we're thinking of collecting a little like best of episode at some point and we'd love to know what y'all have loved across the almost two years we've been doing this which yeah. is fucking wild wow all that and some other good stuff are at let's learn everything pod.com sabrina do you have anything to plug or shout out i have a youtube channel <laughs> <laughs> if you can watch it if you want. I feel like Answers in Progress doesn't need us to shout you out because you're much bigger yeah, and it's... more successful than us. But in the off chance that you're not watching them, go and watch them. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously your kind of content fits right in. So. Like I said at the start, the pizza one, the Japanese internet design, the fake buildings, uh, and of course the AI parkour episode, all great. Journeys into the process of learning and figuring something out, which which I really love. Thank you for plugging for me. <laughs> so today we learned about all of these strange and mysterious ways that eyes are and what they can teach us about evolution. We learned that mosquitoes are a lot more complicated and have a complicated relationship to the environment. But we also maybe could could kill them. Uh, and a lot of entomologists seem to think so. And there's some really cool science and work going into it as we speak, which is awesome. And we learned that bag milk is bizarre and the faults of the metric system, <laughs> as well as marketing and all these other things I did not expect. And you can join us all next time where we will learn about 
You ready, Sabrina? Ready. Let's Learn Everything is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted and produced by Ella Hubber, Tom Lunn and Caroline Roper with editing and music by the wonderful and talented Tom Lunn. Goats are able to roll their eyeballs as much as 50 degrees in one direction. I'm sure, uh, as we've talked about before, birds uh, with their lack of eyeballs, I'm sure, are extremely jealous. Birds lack eyeballs? Yeah, yeah. Instead of being like round, they're a lot more like squished. It'll look like potato shaped almost. That's why owls, we learned this from another episode. That's why owls have to rotate their head because they can't turn their eyes. What? <laughs> All right, Sabrina, you're on the. So far, you have a a, a score of fifty percent on this. I'm Let's sorry. learn everything. True fan <laughs> quiz. <laughs> oh no! God, I can't. I can't fucking wait for the moment that I'm on anything <laughs> answer in progress related, and you instantly pull up a, a test for me in, in retribution for this. Yeah, I, I wasn't bringing it up to try and school you, Sabrina, but to remind the audience. I can't remember that anything that happens in our videos either. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.